Now that's a communion song. <laughs> First Corinthians 11, take your Bible and turn there if you don't mind. First Corinthians chapter 11, I know some of you are surprised at how uh, coincidental it is that our message on communion lined up with when we observe communion. We, uh, we just actually, you know, it just happened upon that. We do plan things, you know that, right? All right, okay. You guys are all kind of like, yeah, we know. <laughs> all right, so 1 Corinthians 11, what I want to do this morning is continue in our series about uh, why Christians do such weird things. And I'm going to be honest with you, in the history of the church, there are fewer things that the outside world has looked at with more confusion and more accusations of it being weird than us observing communion together and taking the Lord's Supper together. Uh, honestly, they, they, they would view an outsider who doesn't know who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us, would view us singing that last song about being washed in the power of the blood of the Lamb, be like, what are you doing? And then, then there were actually accusations in the early church against the early church members, uh, and they were, the accusations were they're cannibals because they were following Jesus' command to take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. The, 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 so the accusations were like something weird with those people. Now, while the observation was correct, there's plenty weird about us. It's simply a matter of misunderstanding about what the Lord's Supper is and what communion is. And that's what I want to look at with you this morning. First Corinthians chapter 11. Before I read, I'm going to go ahead and pray and uh, we'll dive in. Father, thank you that today we have the opportunity to reflect on what is the greatest gift that we have ever received. Father, I thank you for the truth of the word of God presented in music this morning, the opportunity for us to sing your praises, to, to, to take note of the, the way that we have been rescued from darkness into marvelous light, and to be able to express that and proclaim the glory of the God who loved us enough to send his son for us. To, to sing and magnify Jesus Christ, the one who lived the perfect life and then died the death that we should have died. And to do all of that in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for what this morning means to us. May we look at these elements today in a way we haven't before. In Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, the apostle, is writing to a church at Corinth. And uh, if there was ever a church that uh, had issues, it was the church at Corinth. Uh, every which way imaginable, they were doing things wrong. And so Paul gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he starts talking to them about their observing of the Lord's Supper, getting together to eat the communal meal the, and observe communion together. And you get into verse 17, and you hear that they are even doing communion wrong. Look at verse 17, he says this, Now in giving this instruction, I am not about to praise you, because you come together not for the better, but when you come together, it's for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, <laughs> I got to tell you, I believe it. Indeed, it's necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. But when you come together, then it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. And one person is hungry, but there's another person who just gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? 
and I do not praise you in this matter. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details. I, I, I want to get to what, what it is that we do when we observe communion. But, but when you look at this, it's passing judgment on the church at Corinth. And basically, Paul says very simply, you have screwed this up every which way imaginable. So much so, look at verse 30. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Falling asleep isn't what happens at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday for me. That glorious nap that is a gift from God. What Paul is saying is there are people among you who have died because of this. We, we don't understand all of it, God, but God is bringing some type of calamity on the Corinthians because they are not observing the Lord's Supper in a proper manner. And that, that should be heavy on our souls, shouldn't it? So, so what do we do? Now we, we look at the Lord's Supper and how we should observe it. So I want to answer the first question, where did communion or the Lord's Supper <clears throat> come from? Let's go to verse 23. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul says this to the Corinthians, I received from the Lord what I've also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So where did communion come from? We get a time stamp from Paul. He says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Now, you, you can see this in all four gospel accounts. It's the time when um, Jesus gathers his disciples for the Passover meal. And so uh, I, I do want to make sure that I don't assume that you understand what that is. Um, what the Passover meal is, is God had established a memorial, a thing for the people of Israel to remember um, how God had miraculously delivered them out of Egypt on the night the angel of death passed over the Egyptian households and killed the firstborn of every home. And God established this memorial meal because he knew for a fact that what was going to happen is the further they got away from that event, the hazier the details would get. And the more confused the people would be until they got to the place where they completely forgot God's miraculous deliverance. Kind of like we have. Right? I think for many of us, we uh, can hear even the Exodus story. Let's talk about the Exodus story. The thing that the Passover meal is actually built on. We can hear that and we have completely neutered it. We've made it a children's story. I mean, think about it. It's like going to bed at night with your, your little four-year-old. You're tucking him in. He's like, Daddy, tell me a bedtime story. He's like, okay. Well, let me tell you this one. Uh, God took this man named Moses and he sent him to Pharaoh. And he said, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And so God turned all the water. You know the water you like to take a bath in? Or your big cup of water that's right here in your bed with you? God took all the water and boom, turned it to blood. And Pharaoh still didn't change his mind. So do you remember... You remember when sissy had lice? Remember how itchy we got? So what God did was he sent lice upon lice upon lice that it started to eat the flesh of all the people. And Pharaoh still didn't change his mind. Hey, here's your stuffed little cow. Moo moo. You love moo moo, don't you? You know what God did? God said, I'm going to get Pharaoh's attention. So he killed all the cows. Moo moo. Blah. 
And it still didn't work. Now you're scared of the dark? Oh, you know what God did? He made the sun black. And you couldn't see anything. <laughs> good night, buddy. Have a good night's sleep. What is supposed to be a story about the might and the power of God, that the, the molecules of water would change into blood in an instant simply because God demanded that they did, that the sun would go black when God tells it to, that he could make every cattle on every hill and the entire country fall over dead in an instant, that the oldest male child of every person in this room could die tonight at his hands. A story that should be about the powerful reminder of the ferocity and might of the God we serve has turned into a cartoon. And the further we get from the event, the more foggy the details get. So what God did in knowing that was our nature, what God did is he commanded the people in Exodus 12 to once a year stop everything they did and gather their people together, their family together, and walk through this interactive meal that engages all of their senses to remind them of who God is and what he's done for them. And so you get the, the, the account in, in Matthew 26, Jesus gathers the disciples for this last supper. They go to the upper room, they gather together, they get the Passover feast um, Passover meal items, and as he gathers those disciples together, Jesus walks them through what would have been a traditional Passover meal, or as we got to experience together as a church family over Easter, a traditional Seder. And so as Jesus walked through all of those things, he did much of what had happened in all of Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years. He, he, he poured the first cup of wine, that was the cup of freedom to have the people celebrate the freedom they now enjoy because of God's faithfulness in their past. He, he poured the second cup of wine, which was the, the cup of deliverance, which marked how God got them out of Egypt and out from underneath the, the thumb and the tyrannical rule of Pharaoh himself. He, he took the piece of bread and he broke it in half and he hid it. He hid it, the afikomen, he, he hid it till later on in the meal. So as they enjoyed their supper, that hidden piece of, of afikomen was, was set aside and, and, and it was there and it was supposed to be a picture of, of the, 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 the waited for deliverance that God would bring at some point. He promised it and at some point it's, it's going to return and it's, it's going to deliver the people. After they finished eating, after supper, that hidden piece of matzah, returned in front of the disciples in the hands of Jesus. And he did something different. He broke it as he was supposed to. He said, this, this, this piece of bread, this, this piece of matzah that is supposed to be talking about the affliction that you have been for, the, and, and it's supposed to mark the, the waiting for God's deliverance. I'm telling you that this broken bread is my broken body. And it's broken for you to bring you that deliverance you've longed for. He then took the, the third cup of the meal, which is the cup of redemption, and he held it before them and he said, you see this cup? This is a picture of my blood, which will bring you redemption and forever seal your pardon. See, Jesus was the culmination of all of the promises of God. He broke the bread. 
And he poured the wine and he told them, this is my body, this is my blood. And, and while you've seen all of these pictures of the Passover feast before you, and as you've tasted the bitter and the sweet and the salty, as you've, you've gone through all of those elements of the, the Passover feast, and, and those things have reminded you of God's faithfulness, since that night that the angel passed over you when you took the blood of that spotless lamb and put it on the doorposts, this broken bread and this cup of wine is about so much more than just that. It's a picture of God's faithfulness, not to you in the past, but his faithfulness to you right now. This is my body, and this is my blood. It's not transubstantiation or consubstantiation, and if you don't know what that word means, don't worry about it. The idea is when you take the elements, the cracker and the juice turns into the actual physical flesh of Jesus Christ and the actual physical blood of Jesus Christ, and you actually digest him. In essence, you crucify him again. It's not consubstantiation, which is the magical spiritual moment that these things turn into something that brings a power and a grace and within us. It's none of those things. Instead, the elements are a picture to remind you time and time again that the Almighty God is doing for you what you can't do for yourself. Remember it. Remember it. That's the reason why we take communion. To remember. To remember God's work in history. I mean, you, you, you think about it, you got this day when God created everything. And it's good. And it's wonderful. And then, Genesis 3, the fall occurs. And it breaks everything. So now we are isolated from that holy, heavenly, almighty creator God. But then in that isolation, God comes to a man named Abram. And he tells him, I'm going to create a people. And, and through that line of people, I'm going to raise, raise up a, a Messiah. And, and through that Messiah, I'm going to reconcile all things from, from the brokenness to reconciled back together. Through that Messiah, I'm going to reconcile all things back to myself. And all nations on earth will be blessed because of this Messiah. Fast forward a little bit and you've got God giving the law to Moses. And, and, and please understand that the law wasn't given to Moses so that you and I could be perfect. The law was given to Moses to show that we can't be perfect. In fact, so much so, God, it was very obvious right out of the gate, wasn't it? I mean, you know the story of the giving of the law. What happens right away? Oh, we were just standing here, and this golden calf jumped out of the fire. And the people decided to worship it. I mean, that's common sense, right? What else would you do with a golden calf that jumps out of the fire besides flee from it? And of course, it didn't jump out of the fire. They created it with their own hands in their idolatrous hearts. So now... Because they've demonstrated that the law doesn't make them perfect, God sets up through the book of Leviticus a sacrificial system. And that, that sacrificial system shows that God is righteous and that sin needs to be atoned for. And that innocent blood needs to be shed to cover the sin and then the sin will have to be taken away. And there's no greater picture of this than Leviticus chapter 16, 
which is a, a, a powerful picture of how much our sin costs and what God will do for us. It's a picture of this day of atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. The high priest has to go through all of these exercises, all of these ceremonial cleansings. He's got to put on the proper garments. And, and, and not to be rude, but it's true, he even had to wear the proper undergarments. I mean, everything had to be exactly right because on that day, he was going to enter into the place that only once a year a person could enter. And at that, it wasn't just any person. It was only the high priest. And they would bring uh, um, two uh, unblemished lambs, spotless, pure, to the front of the tabernacle or the temple, and, and they would go ahead and they would draw lots. They would cast lots. And, and whatever one got cast to be God's lamb, and the other one would be something else, which we'll talk about in a second. And the one that was cast to be God's lamb would be brought into the Holy of Holies, and it would be slaughtered. And its blood would be shed and gathered. The high priest would sprinkle it on the mercy seat of God. That's the covering of the sin of the people from Israel. The other lamb, the other lamb after some more ceremonial cleansings and different things, the other lamb would be brought to the the entrance and the high priest would lay his hand on the head of the lamb and he would confess over that lamb all the sins of the people of Israel. And and details escape, they're not there. We don't know how specific he got. I'm pretty sure it wasn't just a general and we confess all our sins on this lamb. It was more than that. But the conclusion of that confession, at the conclusion of the high priest laying his hand on the head of that lamb, someone was assigned to take that lamb outside of the camp into the wilderness and then shoot away, which is a picture of the lamb of God carrying away our sins. That lamb's known as the scapegoat. They would do that every year. Every year. And, and that, 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 that's, that's nothing. Every month, there were certain offerings that were supposed to be given. Every week, there were offerings that were supposed to be given. Every day, there were sacrifices that were supposed to be brought over and 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 over. It never ends. Moms can relate. Some things just never end. You do the same thing over and over again. That's why I don't believe in making our bed. We're just going to mess it up again. Why should we do that? Over and over and over and over again. Why do we have to do this every year? This doesn't make any sense. We just continue to muck it up. We keep making a mess of things. We continue to get in our own way. We continue to sin. We, we just keep doing all these things. Why do we have to do this over and over and over again? Because the blood of lambs and goats and bulls can't take away sin. The people who remembered the promise of God to provide a Messiah just long for his arrival and they continue to offer those sacrifices to pay for their sin. Then this glorious day, an angel appears to some shepherds. And though they are absolutely racked with terror, angels crowd to them, don't, don't, don't be afraid. I am bringing you the best news you could possibly imagine. 
For unto you is born today in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus showed up. And all of the prophecies that had been made about the coming Messiah that had been promised to Abram thousands of years before are fulfilled in this one man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus actually says, I am he. I am the one that you have waited for. I am the one that has come. I am that perfect sacrifice that will be offered to cover your sin. I am your substitute to carry away your sins. And Jesus does something that none of us could possibly do. He is perfectly obedient to the law. And as a result of his sinless perfection, he is an acceptable sacrifice. He is an acceptable substitute for us. And he willingly goes to the cross and God lays on Jesus the sins of us all. And Jesus in his death on the cross makes payment for our disobedience and for our rebellion, even though he was innocent. Have you ever wondered how seriously God takes sin? All you need to do is look at the cross of Jesus. Because in the death of Jesus, what you see is the full wrath of God toward mankind and their sin being poured on the shoulders of the innocent Lamb of God. You want to know what God feels about sin? Just look at the cross. You want to know what God thinks about when it comes to love? Look at the cross. You see how much God loves us despite our sin. It's this, this paradoxical moment. I hope I used that word right. The paradoxical moment that happens when all of his wrath and all of his love is poured out in one moment. And what Jesus says in Matthew 26 in the Gospels when he's doing his Last Supper, he says, I want you to remember. Don't forget how much I hate sin. Don't forget how much I love you despite your sin. Remember, that perfection, that righteousness of Jesus is credited to those who call on him as their savior because he dies our death on the cross. If you're his, if you are in Jesus Christ, then all of your sin, every bit of it, past, present, and future is nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ and it's carried away into his now empty grave. Remember. If you're not in Jesus, that full wrath that God poured out on Jesus is yours to pay. And it's not a threat. It's not a threat. Someone needs to pay for your sin. And you have to decide, is it you? Or is it Jesus? When we look at the elements this morning, what you need to remember is God kept his word. When you look at that cracker, you look at the juice, let it be the visual reminder that God did what he said he would do. Remember, like we sang, remember the love of God in Jesus Christ drenched you. He didn't just sprinkle you. He drenched you in his love. Um, 
A little aside, but have you ever come to worship <laughs> and uh, just completely weighed down with sin? Nobody else knows. It's all in here. It's like an elephant sitting on your chest. Now, I do. I, um, so I've been amazed at the depth of my sin. Uh, it shouldn't surprise me because we're told in Scripture the heart is so desperately wicked no one can actually know their own heart. But, but I am, I mean, it's constant. It's, it's this constant shock of how far my heart will wander from him. And I do, and I assume many of you do too, ask for forgiveness. Do you feel like you can't even repent the right way? The question is, can God be for me? Can God be for you? As sure as you see these elements in front of you, as sure as these elements are real, so is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ of your sins. So why do we take communion? Remember that God kept his promises to provide a rescue from sin and that he fulfilled those promises through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's why. Um, don't get too excited. It's going to sound like I'm about to end. Okay. That's your, that's your warning. Uh, in a few minutes, what's going to happen is when, when I am done, um, I'll pray. Um, Jeremy's going to come and play some music. <clears throat> and, and what I want to encourage you to do is uh, leave your seats to, to receive the elements. And so when you stand up, you walk to your right, and approach the tables and receive the elements, return to your seat, and we'll, uh, we'll take communion together. So just return to your seat. Now, w when you are there, I'm going to encourage you to remember. Don't just remember the details. Don't remember the facts. Remember the emotion. Remember how broken you were that moment you recognized the fact that you were a sinner. Remember how joyful you were when you found out that God loves sinners. But before we get to that, the passage doesn't end just with how to observe the Lord's Supper in those areas. It continues. Look at what be in verse 27, 1 Corinthians 11. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself in this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Um, I have had conversations with a lot of people, uh, many from here, who when it comes to communion and the Lord's Supper, they are terrified to take it. Because at some point, somebody stood up and said, if you take this wrong, you'll die. And I, and, I, and I think we do need to take it seriously. 
But what happens when we take that perspective on what Paul is saying here is you've got people who are absolutely freaked out about taking the Lord's Supper. And what they do is they, they get to this place where they're like, I'm not worthy. I've had such a terrible week. I've failed in this area. I failed in that area. I did this. I shouldn't have done that. I sinned against God. I haven't read my Bible. I'm barely here at church this morning. I've had such a terrible week. I should not take this. And the crazy thing is that communion is for you who have had a tough week. I've got to be honest with you, I am never worried about any of you that have that spirit. I've had a terrible week, I did this wrong, I did that wrong, I shouldn't take this wrong. I'm not worried about you taking the Lord's Supper. The person I'm worried about taking the Lord's Supper is the one who always does it because they always do it. Or the lady who gets up, who, who gets up from her chair and, and comes to grab the element because she doesn't want to be the only one sitting there after everybody's gone up to get theirs. For you, I worry. Because that's what it means to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. To come to the table in a spirit of repentance and brokenness is to remember what it is we're doing. So this morning, may I encourage you and even warn you, if you're not taking your sins seriously, if you're not taking the sacrifice of Jesus seriously, do not take communion. Instead, care for your soul. And if you are here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, please hear me. I love that you are here. I am thankful you're here. I do not want to be disrespectful to you. My intent when I stand up here and yell at everybody is to present the gospel, to handle the truth of God's word, and let Jesus take care of the rest of it. Okay? And more than you know, I pray that there is going to be a day that you feel free to leave your seat and take communion with us. But if you have rejected Jesus to this point, then that's not this morning. If you're sitting here and you've rejected Jesus, then I am going to ask that as the instrument plays and as we take the elements, return to our seats, that you simply sit and answer this question. What are you going to do with Jesus? He paid your sin debt. Are you going to allow him to cover your debt? Are you going to insist on paying it yourself? Why do we take communion? We take communion to remember that God kept his promise to provide a rescue from sin and that he fulfilled his promise through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. My hope is that this morning as we do this, the fact that you as a believer in Jesus Christ belong and that you've been forgiven would overwhelm you. Would you bow your heads just with the as quiet as it is in here right now and as your heads are bowed I'm going to encourage each of you to respond in your own way this morning and what I mean by that is this if you're not a follower of Jesus and this morning you're like I want to be I need to be then let me encourage you just simply tell Jesus you know you're a sinner and that you need him to be your savior. Cry out for mercy and for forgiveness. 
You're sitting here this morning. Some of you may want to sit there and just be silent in a way that you haven't because you have been caught in the trap of religiosity. And you've done this hundreds and hundreds of times, but at this point, you're doing it in a cerebral way. You are untouched by the love of Christ, untouched by the reminder of what it means to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. If that's you, then again, I would encourage you to remain in your seat. Get that straightened out. Care for your heart. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to remember. God, while these are simply crackers and juice, what they picture is far greater. So Lord, as we take these very real elements, I pray we would have a very real understanding of what you did for us. Father, may we be overwhelmed that you would forgive a sinner like me. May our hearts be captivated by Jesus today. Amen. Before you stand and leave your seats to receive the elements, I'm just going to read Matthew 26. It says this, Then Jesus came, uh, I'm sorry, let me go to the right place. How's that? Matthew 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and he said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and he said, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This morning, may we remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus.